Welcome. I am so grateful you are here. Let's expand our consciousness. Information leads to transformation. Open your heart. Open your mind. We're on this ascension ride. It's an honor to bring this information to you. This is the Tabitha Polaris Show. Welcome, I am Tabitha Polaris, and on today's show, we will be discussing mindset with Dr. Brooke Smith. Brooke Smith is a business operations consultant and mindfulness expert. In her prior career, she managed the operational excellence program at a one billion year company and trained hundreds of people to create streamlined, customer delighting business processes. She has been featured on over a dozen media outlets, including Forbes, Fast Company, InStyle Magazine, Thrive Global, and Parade Magazine. She has a PhD, MBA, and certifications in yoga instruction, therapeutic yoga, life coaching, wellness coaching, Lean Six Sigma, and project management. She has finished three trail ultra marathons, wow, including one of the toughest 100K races on the East Coast. So she's superwoman. Brooke lives with her artist husband and two cats in Rochester, New York, where you can find them mountain biking on the local trails, playing board games and eating curry tempeh tacos. Yum. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Tabitha. I love this intro. It's full of life and love. Uh, What is Six Sigma, Lean Six Sigma? That was the only thing I didn't know what that was. Yeah. So it's a quality and process improvement Ah, program implemented at a lot of corporations. Well, I'm excited to talk to you about mindset. And when I looked at your website, it said, find more time and have more fun. I was like, yes, yes, we all need that. (laughs) Even if we don't run a business, we could all use these mindset tips we're going to speak about today. So I hope everyone enjoys the show today. But before we go into the interview, I picked a card for you from the Universe Has Your Back deck by Gabriel Bernstein. And it's so funny because it it's a, a, a topic that I was discussing yesterday with one of my business coaches. And the card is, I find a deeper meaning and personal growth amid the discomfort. And I was literally just talking to my business coach last night, mentor friend, about you can't grow without discomfort. Don't you think that's true? 100%. I mean, the edge of discomfort is where all the magic happens. So funny, right? So that was a great card. And you have to you have to shake it up a little bit to grow, right? <laughs> Absolutely. It's something I work on with my private clients a lot also, because it's not just being uncomfortable once, it's creating that habit of making yourself uncomfortable on purpose over and over and over again. Absolutely. So I love that you talk about productivity and mindset. On your website, you say you redefine vinyasa flow. So I've taken yoga classes. So is let's just define that uh, for the audience. Vinyasa flow is a part of a yoga class, right? Yeah. So it's usually the part of the yoga class or the style of yoga where we're moving with our breath. Uh. And that's what I really want productivity to feel like. 
you know, we take on this very like masculine energy approach to productivity where we just try to do, 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 and do more stuff. And it's not even necessarily the right stuff. We just try to do more and cram more into our day. Well, that's such a good point. Yeah. I love that you're connected to nature. You go on walks. I love that you make tempeh tacos. <laughs> but there is something so important about being connected to nature. I also live in New York, but I'm on Long Island. So I have to go to the beach or different parks to experience a little bit more nature. I'm sure you could just walk outside and see beauty. But that is so important to to have a life balance and enjoy nature and be connected to that energy. And I know that you have that training in yoga. So I find it fascinating when people understand energy, breath, as well as business. So I think that's a very special combination. Thank you. I agree because that was one of the things I found was missing when I really started focusing on my online business. I knew that I wanted to leave that masculine energy culture of corporate. Mm -hmm. But once I got into business, there was so much into this sort of getting in the intuitive flow and receiving energy, which is all amazing. But you also need to have like the habits and structures around it to support us in order to do our best creative work. It's so true. I I originally was just like, I'm going to follow my intuition, listen to, you know, my higher self, my guides and any any creative inspiration and put out the work and the people who need it will come. But you kind of need to do some advertising or have systems in place to make things happen. So I, I think a healthy mix of both is really beautiful. I also think you were talking about the mind, body, spirit connection. I really think our our country and a lot of areas around the world don't realize the importance of the mind's body connection. And it's, it, it, people don't understand it. And I think there's like an awakening happening right now. It's being more embraced. Yeah. Don't you see that? All over, especially in the online entrepreneurship world. Yeah. It's becoming more mainstream, which is amazing. So amazing. A lot of people are talking about mindset. I'm studying with Susie B. Zimmerman. I don't know if you know who she is. Uh, she she has this amazing program that I'm in. It's just about, you know, automation and fixing your business so you can have more time and, you know, have things flow correctly, which I'm sure that's a lot of the work you do with your clients. But they actually had a whole section before we even started about mindset and spirituality. And I was so happy to see that. Because um, I think it's so important to understand, you know, the mind-body connection in business. So up-leveling every aspect of your life. I know you discussed this. So why? You want to tell us why? Yeah, because, you know, to your point earlier, Western culture has the mind-body connection so wrong. Because we think of it all as top-down, like mind controlling the body, mind exerting its will upon the body. And we think the body is this thing that needs to be micromanaged as opposed to the mind and body being a team, mm -hmm. because the body, first of all, generally knows what it needs, but also the body communicates with the unconscious mind because the unconscious mind is primarily concerned with protecting the body. So tuning into those body sensations is a window into our intuition and our unconscious mind. Wow. Everyone take that in for a moment. <laughs> that was a powerful statement. So I was talking before about creativity and habits and rituals. How, how do you think um, habits and rituals support creativity? They give us space. Mm. You know, if I wake up and I have to think about like, what am I going to eat for breakfast? What clothes am I going to put on? 
those things start to flood my mind before I can even get to creative work. But if I have rituals around the things in my life that are repeatable, like breakfast was all made ahead of time, I have a capsule wardrobe, I don't really make decisions about clothes, then I can coast right into the creative part of my day and do my best work without any distractions. And the same thing applies to a lot of the tasks in our business that are repetitive, that maybe don't really require all of our talents, but that we just haven't yet automated or delegated. So we spend a lot of mental bandwidth thinking about them and doing them, and it takes away from the energy that we can put into creativity and creating our best work. Wow. I just learned how to um, create a calendar, and I was using things, scheduling appointments, but I wasn't scheduling like healthy meal prep time, you know, things I just would stick in in between all the business work, and I wasn't, you know chunking activities to prepare myself for the next week, which is something I just learned. And as a creative artist person who is more in that flowy creative state, I was a little bit hesitant to schedule everything. But I I said, okay, I'm going to get uncomfortable here. And if it works, if you say so, I will do it. And I have to say, I look at my calendar and I, I have more time. I don't know how, but blocking time to do repeatable tasks has totally changed my life. And um, I have more time to create and have fun and, you know, write music and just, I think my to-do list was suffocating me. I had a non-ending to-do list, but now it's like all scheduled in my calendar. So I have such freedom and happiness now and joy. Yes. When you have that long to-do list, the things on your to-do list are kind of nagging at you when you're not doing them. Yes. And they're taking up mental energy, even when they're not getting closer to done. And when we schedule them, we can actually think about other things and stuff like cooking or even doing laundry, you know, the stuff that we do that is inherently very tactile and sensory, but doesn't require a lot of like deep thought is a really good backdrop to kind of clear the mind and allow some of that creative work to happen in the background. Yeah. Now, do you work with mostly just entrepreneurs or do you work with people just in life in general that need to, you know, have some mindset help and scheduling, you know, do you work with just entrepreneurs or? I work primarily with entrepreneurs. So uh, anyone who is listening, who owns a business or knows someone will definitely enjoy this (laughs) podcast. Now you speak of the illusion of control and how to know when trying to control something is actually undermining you. What do you mean by that? So this first came into my awareness several years ago. I'd had an eating disorder for most of my life. And in my early 30s, I discovered intuitive eating, which it turns out is a lot like delegating. You know, when you're dieting and trying to control everything you eat and all your exercise and micromanage it, it's a ton of work and a ton of stress. And intuitive eating is like delegating all of those decisions to your body and not really stressing about them anymore. And when I realized how much more time and energy I had, I finished my MBA, I renovated a rental property, I started a new job, I crushed my first year sales quota, and I ran my fastest marathon yet. And it all felt so easy because I wasn't wasting energy trying to micromanage my body. And I realized that plays out everywhere in our lives. Like we try to micromanage our relationships. This is like me trying to make my husband eat healthy and exercise. And of course, it gets him farther from from my desired result. 
or in in business, you know, there's this tendency to try to micromanage our employees, especially when we're just letting go of something. But what we're actually doing is wasting our time micromanaging. We're wasting their time because then they're spending all their time explaining stuff to us and not actually doing the thing. And the thing that we want them to be good at doing isn't actually getting done. What do you mean by intuitive eating? Because I've heard of it. I've never done it yet. Is that just like, oh, this feels like good for my body? Oh, this doesn't feel good? Or is it deeper than that? Um, So that's a big part of it. It's essentially letting go of all of the external food rules Mm. that have been imposed on us by other people, by books, magazines, diet culture, all the things. And eating what you want whenever you're hungry and stopping when you've had enough. Gosh, there's such freedom in that. It's amazing. I love that idea. <laughs> Everyone, maybe some people just had an aha moment like I did. I mean, there. I I just wrote um, a few intentions for my heart song that I want to, when I hold space for sound healings or when I sing, like what would be my intention in my heart that I want to put through? And it was actually freedom. So that's definitely something I'll look into. Maybe it's just time to let go and listen to the body and just get active and be happy and focus on that intuitive eating. So maybe that would be a nice way to have freedom in my eating, right? It's life-changing. Wow. Um, And I think part of it is that when you realize that you can eat whatever you want whenever you want to, that urgency of like, oh, I'm at an event, so I have to eat all of the desserts that are offered goes away because you know there's always going to be more desserts. Or when you're at a buffet, you're like, I have to have a little bit of everything. (laughs) Right. And it's like so many things in life. There's this shift from scarcity to abundance when you realize that this freedom is still going to be there tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So you don't need to have everything today. Yeah. That's that's deep. So how do you let go of control, manage your energy, and achieve way more ease in your life? So the first step is always some sort of mindfulness practice. Because control comes from this fear of uncertainty. You know, humans love to know what's going to happen next. That's why we, you know, watch the pregame show before a sporting event. That's why we try to look into the future. It's human nature and it's totally normal, but it's also something that sucks up a ton of our mental energy. And it comes from our thoughts, from our fear of like, what's going to happen? How am I going to handle it? What sort of terrible thing is right around the corner? And mindfulness quiets the mind. It activates the direct experience pathways of the brain. So you're focused on your senses, what is here and now. And it turns down the volume on all of those thoughts about impending doom and uncertainty. I have found that mindfulness keeps me present in the moment. So I'm not worrying about the future or dwelling on the past. And there's freedom in that as well. Mindfulness is so important. What's one mindfulness tip you could give the audience that they could start practicing right away? If you're new to mindfulness, Practice really short periods of time, several times a day, even just two minutes at a time. Notice the soles of your feet, notice your sit bones, notice your shoulders, your neck, the muscles in your face, notice your breath. And that's it. 
and just do it over and over and over again so that it becomes like second nature. And then it's there when you need it. If you feel yourself getting upset or spinning out or worrying, you can go right back to that practice. So do you find that being mindful, it helps to focus on your breath and your body to keep you present in that moment? I am a big fan of focusing on the breath and body. Um, So I was one of those people who had read about all the benefits of meditation for 10 years and just couldn't do it, hated it, dreaded it, freaked out every time I tried to sit still. I was even a yoga instructor who hated meditating. (laughs) And when I got into these very simple, like sensory based mindfulness practices of just noticing the body sensations, everything changed. And I think part of that is because I gave my mind something to focus on Mm. instead of just saying, don't think about anything. Yeah. I've kind of switched how I make meditations. I don't say quiet your mind anymore. I focus more on guiding people to their breath and, uh, and, and I create really amazing soundscape backgrounds. So they're just in, enraptured in the music. Like, and, and I find that that helps in keeping them short so people could actually do them effectively. Usually my meditations are seven to 10 minutes, but I just made one that's five minutes and that you could use in the morning to like start your day in the end to have sleep and the midday to like, you know, have a reset, crush your goals. So I was like, you know, I, I think of people that don't like meditation or that can't quiet their mind or think they're doing it wrong or just can't sit still. So these are all such good inputs for me, you know, and trying to create something for people like you that feel like it's hard or they can't do it. So I've been experimenting with that. I'm going to release that one soon for free for everyone to give them a little five minute reset. But um, what led you to this work? Because you have such an interesting background in business and then you, you run you're very active. It's a very interesting combo. You did the yoga. So uh, what led you to wind up here helping entrepreneurs? So my eating disorder recovery was a huge part of it. Um, Just when I looked around myself in corporate America and saw how much energy everyone was wasting trying to control the things around them. Uh. And as I really embodied that work and also yoga and my identity as a yoga instructor, I felt like I fit in, in corporate America less and less. And at the same time, I felt like I had so much to offer entrepreneurs, especially who were stuck in this, either stuck in this masculine energy corporate paradigm and needed to introduce more intuition and calm and entrepreneurs that were doing really well in their intuitive flow, but needed a little bit more structure and routine in order to really thrive. Wow, that's beautiful. And how do you work with people? Do you have like a video course? Do you work one-on-one? How how does that look like? So I work with people primarily one-on-one. I do have some video courses coming out later this year. They'll be launching in the May through July timeframe. Beautiful, beautiful. And how how does that work like to get results? Like do you need a few a few sessions? You guys make plans, you learn the techniques. It's, is there like a time period of, you know, a minimum of working with you? How many sessions? It's on a case-by-case basis. Okay. So, uh, for a while I did VIP days. And my clients who I saw in the VIP day container actually had amazing results because we were able to settle in um to talk through a lot of the thought work, but then also do a really nice embodiment experience um, to quiet the mind and help them integrate. And then 
some talking conversational integration at the end. I also do coaching over a three or six month time frame. Do you ever go into corporations and, and help groups of people or do group meetings or is it just mostly one on one? Uh, just one on one right now. Beautiful. It might be a good idea, right? To get a yes. get get some companies hiring you and get get everybody in tip top shape for productivity exactly. and happiness and joy. What brings you joy uh, within your business about what you do? Seeing my clients' results. Yeah. I mean, it's getting those like IMs or Voxer messages um, saying how different things are than they were a week ago, a month ago, six months ago. Oh, that's so nice. I love that. I love when you get feedback and you feel like you made a difference in someone's life. It's so rewarding. So how do you find time for fun within running your own business? Do you use your own tips? I actually do use my own tips. Um, And one thing that I've been working on over the last few months is actually simplifying my business. Mm. Um, I went through this phase of expansion where I was all about delegating. And then I realized that, you know, there's two paths to getting things off my plate. One of them is delegating, but the other is deciding that some of them maybe don't need to be done. So I've been revisioning my whole business to make it as simple and sustainable as possible. Wow, that feels so light and beautiful. Again, the theme of freedom here. Yeah. That's yeah, really cool. It's like, how many offers do I really need? Like, how many different offers yeah. do I really need? And it was may- way fewer than I thought. Yeah. And, and here I am encouraging you to do more. But maybe there <laughs> is br- brilliance in just having like one one service and doing that yeah. well and crushing it. Exactly. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, what are a few tips for finding time f- for fun for everyone listening? So... Schedule it in. Okay. Like you actually can schedule in fun the same way you schedule in anything else. Schedule it's, in. It's a legit use of your calendar. All right. But also make sure that when you have high priority work to do, that you prioritize that work. One of the biggest pitfalls I see when my clients come to me is, you know, they have a to-do list of 30 things and they get through the day and they spend all day responding to emergencies, uh, responding to distractions. And at the end of the day, they have 50 things on their to-do list. They're wondering where the day went. They're trying to sneak in work in the evening. There is no time for fun. They're falling down the work guilt shame spiral. And then they toss and turn in bed because they're wondering like what catastrophe awaits them in the morning. And it all starts with actually prioritizing that work that's important that you want to do and feel like things are pulling you away from it saying no to the distractions so that you can get the deep work done because then you finish the day feeling accomplished, feeling successful and being able to go enjoy yourself with no guilt. That's a good tip. Thank you so much. Uh, Just curious what I was just looking at your bio because I think it's really cool. What got you into running? Um, So I started running um, for the purely practical purpose of wanting to lose weight. Uh-huh. And my uh, my ex-husband was in the military. He was deployed. He had a big dog. And so suddenly I found myself with a big dog to look after for a year. You got to tire and those out. Running with the big dog turned out to be one of the best ways to tire him out. And I just never stopped. Oh, that's fabulous. And what do you have a PhD in? Philosophy of science. That is so cool. How does one like pick that, like after you finish college, you're like, I'm going to go do that. Like, is there a list of choices? How did you discover that? 
For me, it was, I got yelled at by a professor. I was studying cognitive science in my undergrad. And I was taking this seminar with a really well-known professor who studied cognitive brain imaging and how you can use functional MRI to learn more about cognitive structures and how people process information. Fascinating class, but it turns out I was a huge pain in the ass. (laughs) because I asked a ton of questions about the methodology of the studies we were reading and the potential flaws in the way the data had been analyzed. And one day he got frustrated with me and he said, Brooke, you are a very smart girl, but you are not a scientist. You are a philosopher of science and you need to go be a philosopher and ask these questions somewhere else. Oh, that's good. That's smart. So I did, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important for us to question everything. Absolutely. And to be honest, that, you know, a philosophy PhD doesn't sound useful. Oh, it is. Um, but yeah, that's like my communication skills came from doing that PhD, my writing skills, my critical thinking skills. Yeah. And as I learn, I mean, in every single aspect of science and culture, you must ask questions. Yes. Everything isn't as is. There is no, you know, maybe we're wrong about certain things and maybe there's new data. And, you know, people sometimes are very closed minded when there's new research, you know, because they believe things are a certain way. I've just been noticing, you know, things around like, especially with the new research with the pyramids and all that and how the uh, old scientists are like, nope, that's not true. I'm like, but the water line shows it's clear as day that this was older than you think it is. So um, you might love <laughs> the structure of scientific revolutions by Thomas. Cohen. All right. I'm going to write a book down. from. Yep mid 20th century, Um, but it's fascinating because he talks about paradigm shifts in science and how how much it really takes to replace an old paradigm with a new paradigm. I couldn't believe I was watching a video of Graham Hancock trying to make a presentation and there was one scientist from Egypt having like a child hissy fit. Like he won't, he wouldn't even watch it. I go, are you kidding me? Like we all as a human race really need to look at our culture, our science, our thoughts, our beliefs, and really always question to grow, right? So what is that book? I'm going to write it down. It's called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions by Thomas Kuhn. Definitely check out that book. Thank you so much for that recommendation. So I wanted you to have a moment to promote um, your free video series called To-Do List Takedown. Uh, Tell us about that. So the To-Do List Takedown is a four-part choose-your-own-adventure video series. So you actually get to select your next video at each step based on the outcome of some questions at the end of each video. And you can sign up for that on my website at drbrooksmith.com. That sounds awesome. I might just do that as well. I uh, really enjoyed speaking with you today. Um, you, so you're also on Instagram, Dr. Brooks Smith. And again, the link to your website and your um, information will be in the description of this episode. And I really, really had fun talking to you today. So thank you so much for your time. Um, any last final comments or messages for the audience? 
Thank you so much for having me, Tabitha. This was fabulous. Uh, Thank you so much. So I look forward to learning more from you and connecting again, maybe having you back on in the future. So have a beautiful day. So much love and light to you. And thank you for sharing. Yeah, thank you for sharing your wisdom. And I hope this podcast brings you many blessings in your life and your business. Thank you. You too. Thank you for holding this space with us today. May your hearts be filled with love and light. Keep your eyes wide open for signs from your angels. Many blessings to you and looking forward to being with you next Tuesday.